Eating is such a vivid experience, and eating with others is pretty intimate. We use all five senses, sight, smell, touch, taste, and sound. All five. (laughs) What else do you use all five senses for? So when we have an experience that surrounds a meal, it only heightens the memory. As Marcel Proust wrote, I feel something start within me, something that leaves its resting place and attempts to rise, something that has been embedded like an anchor at a great depth. I do not know yet what it is, but I can feel it mounting slowly. I can measure the resistance. I can hear the echo of the great spaces traversed. Will it ultimately reach the clear surface of my consciousness? This memory, this old dead moment, which the magnetism of an identical moment has traveled so far to importune, to disturb, to raise up out of the very depths of my being? I cannot tell. Now I feel nothing. It has stopped and perhaps sunk back into its darkness from which who can say whether it will ever rise again? Ten times over I must essay the task, must lean down over the abyss, and each time the cowardice that deters us from every difficult task, every important enterprise, has urged me to leave this thing alone, to drink my tea, and to think merely of the worries of today and my hopes for tomorrow, which can be brooded over painlessly. And suddenly, the memory revealed itself. I'm Rosa Tran, and you're listening to Taste of Regret. Joining us today is my good friend, Justin. Hi, I'm Justin. I'm 38 years old, and I'm from Datmouth, Mass, originally. What was that? Dartmouth, Mass. That's a little bit of a twinge of a Boston accent in there. <laughs> That's right. It would be Dartmouth, probably to anybody else. Dartmouth. But okay. there it's Dartmouth. Dartmouth. Um, so I asked you to come into the podcast today because I remember working with you and you were very specific about what you ate. And I remember... <laughs> And I remember asking you about it and you made this one comment to me and I was just, it kind of just popped it back into my head a couple of weeks ago. And it was, you had that salad in that glad Tupperware with the blue lid, yeah. it's like spinach and like a couple of strawberries on it. And then I asked you, and did you eat that every day? And you said, yes. And it was because, and you said, pardon, pardon this if this is incorrect, because you were a fat kid. Yeah, no, that is correct. That's dead on. (laughs) (laughs) So do you want to tell us about being a larger child and kind of like growing up, going through going to school and just kind of your social interactions with people? Sure. It can be tough for a fat boy, you know, fat kids don't get love or not as much love as everybody else. That's for sure. Um, I was definitely bullied when I was younger because of my weight. Mostly in high school, more than probably maybe a little bit in middle school, I was teased too. Um, I think one of the hardest things about being a fat kid is that it attracts attention to you, whether you want it or not. You sure. look different. 
um, you stand out in a crowd from other people who are quote unquote average or normal sized or, you know, slim. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of like easy pickings, you Mm -hmm. know, it's like shooting fish in a barrel and kids can be very cruel. People can be very cruel, especially in, I think in, in their teens. I mean, Teens now are like my worst nightmare. Ugh. I'm terrified of teenagers, <laughs> especially now that they're armed with social media oh, and all these Lord. other things and, yeah. and technology backing them. I mean, the, the cyberbullying and everything, it's crazy. So uh, I think I had a really unhealthy relationship with exercise because I associated it with gym class and it was like my worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. I remember going and being a heavier kid, I was always, you know, they would still do that thing where they pick teams and everything. And I would always be like the last picked or the second to last one picked. Mm. You know, no one ever wanted me on their team. I was always just like, all right, we'll, we'll take chubs over here. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that's really was probably the main reason that I really had, you know, I would even say an aversion to exercise. I mean, it must've ruined your day when those kids were mean to you. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was horrible. Mm. At that time, what, which is really interesting since I've worked as a stop-motion animator, but the bane of my existence was the Pillsbury Doughboy. That son of a bitch. Be- because of those stupid Pillsbury Doughboy commercials where he would come out, you know, and then the hand would reach into frame and poke him in the stomach, and he would, like, laugh, you know, jollily, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, that would happen to me in high school. I remember I'd be at my locker, like minding my own business. You know, it's like, I'm just trying to get to class, man. I'm just putting my books in my locker, you know, right. swapping books out to go to the next class. And some jackass would come up to me, hey, man, Pillsbury Doughboy, and just like shove their finger into my my belly and then run off. You know, I mean, yeah, there were there were some very rough hazing for sure and like bullying type stuff like the one that stands out the most which is kind of crazy was actually a girl there was this girl and i remember i was so pissed because she was this like new girl in school but she was like more attractive and if we're being real i think probably pretty slutty Mm. and i think that's how she just she was one of those girls who was like new to my school but somehow became popular overnight it's like how are you more popular than me like i've been here all along you know, and I remember there was this incident where I was sitting in a marine biology class and, you know, we had those sort of lab tables where it's like two, you're sitting two to a table with a lab partner kind right. of thing. So we were taking a test and then for whatever reason, I think my table was like the front row. So the teacher set the test stack on my desk. So when you finished your, it was like a quiz or whatever, you're supposed to take the quiz and then set it down on on the table I happened to be sitting at. Mm-hmm. So this girl decided it would be really cute in front of the entire class to humiliate me. So when <sighs> she got up to hand her test in, because she's like standing basically directly in front of me, I'm in the middle of taking my exam and she just reaches over and says, Hey man, you got bigger titties than me. <gasps> and literally like gave me purple nurple and like reached across. I mean, it was full on sexual harassment. Like if that were to happen now, she would have at a minimum, you know, probably been suspended or yeah. something, you know, with now we're much more aggressive, you know, with dealing with those issues. But at that time, you know, this was like the 90s. So whatever. I don't even think she went to the principal's office or anything, but it was humiliating. You know, she called was. me out in front of. My, so then, you know, I'm the butt of the joke for my entire class. Ugh. So, yeah, that was probably the, one of the worst ones that I remember distinctly because it was a girl and yeah. not a, a not a guy doing it. Too. And you can't yeah. even like punch her. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, that was the most frustrating thing is feeling so defenseless against the attack because I was like, well, what can I do? I can't grab her breasts. Yeah. So, you know, my hands are tied here. I just had to take it. I couldn't wait to get out of there. So the minute I graduated, I think 
probably the same week that I graduated high school, I left. Really? And I never looked back. I still have family there and I love to go visit. You know, Boston still feels like home, but I didn't feel like a real attachment to that town or anything. So I kind of never looked back. It's interesting because I've thought about this a lot in my life is the question of like, had I not moved to Denver and never left, like let's say I stayed in Dartmouth, Mass, Mm -hmm. would I have lost weight or would I still be a fat kid? Or fat, fat man now, a fat guy. Um, because You're I, still a kid. You could still be a kid. <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm definitely a fat kid at heart still. <laughs> um, so I think, I don't know, it's just interesting to me because people love to, ca- we love to categorize people yeah. and put people in boxes, like mentally and even emotionally in some cases. So I think by physically moving away, that gave, when I moved to Denver, Colorado, right after high school, I had the opportunity to completely reinvent myself. Clean slate. Clean slate. I had a clean slate. I was in a new town. Nobody knew me in Denver. I didn't know anyone there. I didn't have any friends yet. When I first moved there, I moved there for school. Um, so that was my opportunity to reinvent myself. And that's when I first became vegetarian. I started exercising every day building like a workout routine, building healthier habits and completely changed my lifestyle. And then as a result, transformed my body. So that, uh, you know, I, I do think about that sometimes because it was interesting to see how people reacted to that weight loss. Yeah. Um, because I was, when I was in high school, I was about, at my biggest, I was just under 200 pounds. I was like maybe 195, 198, somewhere in there. And how tall are you? And I'm only five, nine. But so that's a lot of weight. That's yeah. I mean, I now I'm. I usually stay around anywhere between one forty five to one fifty. Now, like that's like I'm probably around one fifty right now, mm-hmm. and that's I've maintained that weight pretty much for the past twenty years, thirty years. I don't know, twenty years. Yeah, something 20. like that. Yeah, good for coming you. Coming up on twenty years. Yeah. So, yeah. so now this feels normal, you know. But there, there is definitely certain aspects to my personality, which my fiance loves to rip on me all the time about, um, that I still feel like a fat kid sometimes, you know, like I still have a sweet tooth and I love sugar. Love. I'm like a fiend for sugar. You're like a hummingbird. It's amazing. Like sugar just (laughs) gives you wings, you know? Um, so I do find myself still struggling with that sometimes. And I definitely still have like a tendency towards emotional eating. If I'm having a bad day or I'm in a bad mood or, you know, it's like a comfort thing. I will, the first thing I'll do is like reach for sweets. So you changed your lifestyle when you moved. Yes. And, uh, yeah, the plan was to go to art school pretty much immediately, you know, following graduating from high school. And then for one reason or another, I ended up taking a year off, um, which was actually really helpful. You yeah, know, I feel like to you. really find myself. And so it was really during that year that I had a lot of time, I think, because all my, all my friends, you know, that I was still in contact with that I graduated with from high school were already in college and they were living this whole, I would, you know, get in touch with them. A lot of them were in art school also Mm -hmm. like in New York and really exciting places doing really cool things. And I was kind of just parked here in Denver. What I, what felt like on the sidelines at the time, you know? So that actually gave me the opportunity to really work on myself. And I, you know, at that point too, that at that age, I was about 19 years old or 18 years old. And I think that is such a great time in your life to kind of reflect and be like, well, who am I and who, who am I now? Or who, who's the young man or man that I want, that I am now and who do I want to be? And I think that really let, was a huge part of me changing my lifestyle, 
starting because exercise had never really been a normal part of my life. I would always yeah. dot. I was I was a little fat art kid. I, I was always artistic, and I was always into drawing cartoons since I was a little kid. And but exercise was always used like as a punishment too when we were younger. Yes, which is not cool. Yeah, because and I think that's I think that's really why I hated it too. What made me hate exercising was gym class. Going back to your transition, what was going through your mind? Like it must have been a struggle. It's a whole lifestyle change, a whole mindset. It's not just I'm going to work out for thirty days and then call it a day and then go back to eating a bag Mm -hmm. of Oreos or something. But it's like this: you really had to take stock of your life up to that point and then say, okay, from this point forward, I'm going to go left instead of right. And I Mm -hmm. have to maintain this every single day, as well as maintaining a mindset to complement that. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I never, it didn't feel like a struggle for me. I think, I think for me, uh, the choice to go vegetarian and then particularly vegan, because I remember dropping weight very quickly when I, when I cut out dairy. Mm-hmm. I really remember that distinctly. I initially became vegetarian for health purposes, health reasons, mm-hmm. but my choice to go vegan was definitely motivated by animal rights issues. I was very, I was reading a lot of uh, like interesting books at that time. I was in college. So I was, I wrote, I remember the book that probably impacted me the most was a book called Diet for New, uh, a Diet for New America, mm-hmm. I think is what it was called. And it, the interesting thing, I think what really struck a chord with me about that book is the fact it was authored by, um, this guy Robbins. I want to say Tony Robbins is not Tony right. Robbins, but he's the heir to, Baskin Robbins. Oh, wow. So he actually is like, you know, one of the heirs to the Baskin Robbins, which, you know, they're all about ice cream. And here's this guy coming out and, and taking a stance against dairy and saying how unhealthy it is. And he, uh, in that book, he addressed things like the diets in other countries and the other parts of the world where they don't consume dairy and their ve- their diet is either very vegan or sort of maybe vegan with some meat thrown in, but mm-hmm. without the, especially the dairy component was a big thing. They mm-hmm. don't consume as much dairy or very, very like either little or no dairy yeah. and how much healthier those lifestyles are. Um, so for me, I've always been an animal lover. After reading this book, it really struck a chord with me, not only on like a health level, but also the, the animal rights thing definitely kind of got to me. And at that time I, you know, I was young and I was going to go out and change the world. Yeah. So I I was very militant about it too yeah. initially, which I think a lot of vegans probably are when they first make the change. And then I calmed down and then I didn't care anymore. But initially I remember, I do remember being very militant about it and just because, and this is still my belief. Um, I personally will not consume when it comes to like animal products or, or, or meat and animal, I won't eat something that I don't feel like I'm willing to, to go to links to get it. So for example, I don't eat red meat now um, because I'm, I would not kill a cow. Mm. I, I don't believe in it fundamentally. And I, you know, that's just for me personally. Like sure. I don't blame anybody else. Like of I course. said, my fiance, of course, is like, she would take down a cow with her bare hands if she could. I wouldn't leave her alone in a room with a cow. <laughs> honestly, this girl, right. <laughs> but when it comes, and that's fine. And I don't judge that. I, you know, that's right. totally, I'm very much like to each their own and whatever floats your boat kind of mentality. Um, but at least for me personally, I know that I don't, I'm not willing or I don't have the stomach or whatever, um, the minerals as the Brits say, you know, Mm -hmm. to, to take an animal's life and therefore I don't want to consume it. Sure. 
So, and then, and then when it comes to being pescatarian, I did go fishing in Nicaragua was the first time I ate fish again. And I didn't personally like fish, but I was on the boat and the fish was flapping around at my feet as it died. And I was okay with it. I was like, okay, I could do this. If if I, you know, if I was out here and I needed it as a means of survival, survival, if I needed to catch my own fish and for, for food, I would do it. And I felt completely comfortable with it. Through your transition, you started losing weight. I mean, that must have made you feel like euphoric. I'm on cloud nine. It's working. I'm finally losing weight. Mm-hmm. Like you must have been ecstatic with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can remember actually on that, on that subject, on that topic, I have two distinct memories about the body, the, the changes to my body when I lost the weight. And one of them was I could like, you know, flex my foot up a little bit and I could actually see a calf muscle. Cause I wasn't used to ever seeing that is like, wow. you know, when you're a fat kid, you can flex and what little muscle you have underneath the fat, it doesn't really change. So for example, when I was, you know, at my, at my peak in high school, when I was my heaviest, I could flex my arm, but I didn't have, I obviously I had some muscle, but right. there's not there. So I could flex like my bicep, for example, but there's no visual change. Yeah. I didn't have that bump, that bulge, you know, yeah. that, that you want as a guy. Yeah. It was just like straight across and just kind of flat, you know, just this like tube. Um, and I do remember the first time I could like flex and because I was also, you know, working out with dumbbells, mm-hmm. I do remember the first time I actually saw like, oh my God, I'm, I'm getting biceps. Like I'm actually getting bicep muscles. And then the other one was, I remember running to my mom, like really excited, like, look, look. And I remember like, <laughs> I remember, you know, uh, I don't know how to explain this, but like sitting in a chair and kind of flexing my calf muscle, you know, yeah. with my, by applying pressure to just my toes and yeah. pulling my foot up and then seeing that I had that like line in my calf. And that was a first for me. Like that just wasn't ever there. Or I mean, I'm, you know, there was a muscle obviously under the fat, but you can, it was you never, couldn't you couldn't see that time. line. Yeah. yeah. So that was like a really big deal for me. Those, those are the two like real standout memories that I have is like my biceps and my calf muscles. I remember actually being able to see that kind of cartoony thing that you want as a guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the excitement of that, like, wow, this is, it's really working, you know? So then your folks were there with you. So they were watching you go through this amazing transformation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, They were awesome. And then your sister was back East. Yes. Yeah. And when she saw you for the first time, Yeah. You know, I don't even remember like my sister Carrie seeing me for the first time. Um, but I'm sure she was really supportive because she actually also was a fat kid. Mm. So my, (laughs) of the three of us, unfortunately, my sister and I, my brother, for whatever reason, was blessed with these much, much nicer jeans, at least, well, at least when we were younger, because now I think time's time's caught up to him, I think. Um, now he's a little soft in the middle, but growing up, he was, uh, you know, always like a beanpole. And I remember, uh, like hating him because we would get pizza as a family or whatever. And he was always the minute the pizza was dropped down on the table. He's already calculating, you know, how many of us are there and how many pieces does everyone get? And he could always have that extra slice and he never gained an ounce. My brother was always just like a beanpole, like really. And he's not much taller than me. He's probably about five, 10, or we might even be the same height, but he just was always slender and he never had to worry about weight. Whereas my sister and I were both heavier. We were both kind of chubby kids and struggled with that all the way up through high school. Um, my sister also really struggled with that and ended up becoming anorexic. Wow. Um, so you said you were chubby, 
your sister was chubby. What was your home life like then? Oh, when we were younger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my dad was and is a workaholic. He is a diehard workaholic. So he wasn't around a lot when we were growing up, mainly just because he was at work. You know, Mm -hmm. he's always been kind of uh, in an executive role. Mm -hmm. He's in healthcare management. Mm -hmm. So that kept him very busy. Mm -hmm. And he worked really long hours. And he was just not around as much. So that put a lot more weight, I think, on my mom for her to have the kind of sole responsibility of being in charge, which probably happens in a lot of households, I would think. You know, the mom probably deals with it more than the father. Maybe not as much nowadays, but I think back in the 80s and that time period was probably more common. So that kind of meant that that put all of the nutrition, you know, what we were eating, preparing meal preparation, all of that kind of fell on my mom's lap. So your sister developed an eating disorder and then this is all on your mom to take care of you guys. Like that must have been really a tense household. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was nobody would tense. talk about it, right? Like it's mm-hmm. like, oh goodness, she's not gonna eat or she's going to eat and or play with her food. What do we serve her? How do we figure this out? Yeah, the the interesting thing that happened with my family dynamic at that time was and I haven't ever discussed this with anyone else who maybe grew up with an anorexic sibling, mm-hmm. but I would think it, it kind of makes sense psychologically. So it probably happens a lot, but the kind of the center focuses on them and therefore all the dietary choices, I feel like for the entire family kind mm-hmm. of revolve, end up revolving around that child or that person who's going through that struggle because they're going to do, which I, I understand. I mean, I don't hold it against my parents. Right. I totally understand. You know, they they desperately were just trying to get my sister to eat. Um, she actually did go vegetarian at that time, too, which is also an interesting twist, which I can get back to in a moment, um, which affected how my dad reacted to me going yeah. vegan years later. Um, excuse me. Uh, but what happened was my sister went vegetarian, I think, because um, it made her much... I think it made her made it much easier for her to disguise what she was eating or not eating by being vegetarian because she's already cutting out so many foods mm. as a blanket statement. Like, all right, that means I'm only eating carrot sticks now and things like that. Sure. So she became vegetarian, um, which I had totally forgotten about until just now talking about it. Um, she went vegetarian in high school when she first started struggling with anorexia. Mm-hmm. And my parents at that point were, you know, especially my mom was like floundering to just find anything sh- that we could get her to eat. Cause I remember at that point, I mean, when my sister was at the depths of the anorexia, it was like a bargaining every oh, single nice. meal. It was like just trying to get her to eat anything. And I mean, it got pretty bad. She dropped down to, I think 80 something oh. pounds and she's probably about five, three, I want to say. Mm-hmm. So she's smaller anyway. And she's still petite now. She's healthy and hasn't, you know, she's overcome that now. Mm-hmm. Thank God. And she, you know, she's doing really well. Um, but at that time, yeah, she was struggling with it. And my parents, of course, were, they were making decisions for the entire family that were, but everything kind of had to revolve around her. Yeah. Um, and that affected what we ate for meals that affected, um, like anytime we had a birthday, we could no longer have birthday cake. Aww. We had to have angel food cake, no, which no. I hate. <laughs> no. I I hate angel food cake. For it's, me, it's like sh- sugary air. It's kind sugary of. air, and yeah. there's no frosting. Like if I'm eating cake, and it's if there's a birthday. 
There better be frosting. There better be some damn frosting. I want some damn frosting. <laughs> okay, when's your birthday? Uh, July 15th. July I'm 15th. I'm writing this down. Justin's birthday. To this day, if anyone offers me a piece of angel food cake, I just want to slap it right out of their hands. <laughs> I just like get that get that stuff away from me. I can't stand it. Like, like just no more. No, 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 no. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, so that was one thing. Another big impact on my family was in order to support my sister, my parents decided that we should all start going to uh, family therapy. So we were doing that. We were doing like family group therapy to, to support my sister. Yeah. yeah. And that was interesting, but it was also very frustrating because when my sister was anorexic and dealing with that, she was so safeguarded. So we weren't like my sister was off limits. Like even if she did something to either my brother or I was out of line. It did. I mean, my sister's very mild mannered and she's a sweetheart. So it was rare. But if there was ever like a disagreement between us, we could never like say anything negative about my sister because even she would in feel therapy. like even in, no, especially in the, oh, during wow. the therapy sessions. But then that's not, how's yeah. that therapy then? Cause well, is it, when are you supposed to air your grievances? Yeah. Well, the thing was, it was like my sister by being anorexic, it just gave her this sort of like, um, like almost like a bulletproof vest or something or like a force field around her. Like we weren't allowed to say anything. She was just off limits. So we would go to these therapy sessions. My brother and I would begrudgingly go. Obviously we love our sister so much and right. we wanted to be there to support her, but we started getting pretty miffed after a certain point, yeah. you know, because we'd go to these sessions and stuff would come up that was going on with our family, you know, the family dynamic, whatever. And then anything that was about my sister would always be redirected away from her. Because the thing that a lot of people don't know, I'm assuming don't know or understand about anorexia, one of the really kind of fascinating things about it is that when um, someone starts depriving their body and starving themselves, they actually end up reverting back to this sort of like child. It's almost similar to like um, someone with Alzheimer's, mm. how they end up, they can oftentimes revert back to childlike behavior mm. and, and regress in, in a lot of ways. Um, that actually happened to my sister where in certain ways she kind of regressed physically um, to like a prepubescent kind of body because her body was changing and she was she was starving herself so much and then at the same time even emotionally mentally and emotionally she kind of reverted back to a more childlike state mm -hmm. so what that would mean was anytime uh we would address or try and discuss anything going on with the family related directly to her she would like freak out and say she was feeling like she was under attack and then we would have to back off so we weren't she was, she was just off limits right and um one of the funny things about this is going back to me being an artist always and like drawing these cartoons and stuff since I was, since I could pretty much hold a crayon. Mm -hmm. um, I remember one of my sort of little therapy things I would do for myself is if I had any beef with anyone in my family, mm -hmm. I would run up to my room. I, I was always, I was very passive aggressive. <laughs> so I would, <laughs> I would have an issue with my brother. I get in a fight with him or, you know, get in an argument with my mom or dad or just, they you know want to go to the movies with my friends and they said no or something stupid like that. And then I would go up to my room and I would scribble these like nasty, I would do these little very unflattering, unsavory <laughs> cartoons of the person in my family that I was upset with. Um, and it's fun. The funny thing is I was recently cleaning out some things in the closet and I came across these old drawings. That's awesome. And the funny thing about it is I have, I still to this day, I have drawings. I came across these like upset 
unsavory caricatures of my mom, Mm -hmm. my dad, and my brother. Because at the time, I was making these during my sister's anorexia. I never made. No, I never. And I I recall this now. Like, it's all, you know, it came back once I was going through the old drawings. I never even made one of those caricatures of my sister. Because she was just so untouchable at that time. We were not allowed to. So even as my own personal therapy, I mean, I... I think I probably, I, I know I showed the ones of my parents to them, like later on. I don't remember if I did at the time. Yeah. I was very passive aggressive. So it's possible that I drew it angrily and then even like rubbed it in their face. Right. Like, oh yeah, well, this is what I think of you kind of thing. Yeah. I don't remember, to be honest. Um, but I know they know they exist. Yeah. They've, they've definitely seen them since. But yeah, the fact that I didn't even wow. do one of my sister, I thought was really interesting. How is your relationship with your sister now? We're really close. Yeah. yeah. I'm her little brother. Mm-hmm. I always will be. She's very maternal. My sister's always had that maternal instinct. So then your sister, she recovered. Yeah. Yeah. Or she's yeah. still recovering, I guess. Every day is she's yeah. in recovery for this disorder. Yeah. So she really, I mean, the, the brunt of her anorexia, I would say, was like her junior and senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother, at that time, because my brother was a year older, so he went away to college. So by my sister's senior year, I was a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. And then my brother moved away to go to college. So he moved out of the house and, you know, did his whole college thing his freshman year. And then, um, so he was kind of out of the picture, you know, he was kind of removed at least from that immediate family dynamic. And my sister really struggled with the anorexia. I think it really hit its peak. I believe it was during her senior year, if I'm correct. It was either, it might've been junior year. I think it was her senior year. She actually got so bad where she dropped so much weight that they made the decision to hospitalize her. Mm. And so she had to go to the mental hospital and be locked up. You know, in there, which was really tough. Yeah. You know, it affected my whole family. I remember at that point, oh, no, now that I think about it, she was probably a junior in high school because I was I was in eighth grade getting ready to move up to high school. Okay. And I one distinct memory I have is I had like one of those... Um, like a student teacher meeting thing. Mm-hmm. And my parents were always very involved, always there for us, very supportive of all three of us growing up. They were very active parents, especially when it came to academics. They mm-hmm. were always, academics were always important in my family, right. keeping up good grades. We we're all pretty good students always. Um, so my parents were always very involved in that. And they would never miss a meeting like that. I remember there was one time in eighth grade, they didn't, they weren't able to attend my parent-teacher conference because my sister was in the hospital Mm. and they were dealing with that. Wow. And that was really difficult because I remember one of the hardest parts is my sister and I have always been close. Yeah. You know, we've always been like kind of like two peas in a pod in a lot of ways. And my sister, like I said, has always looked over me and, you know, kind of mothered me in a lot of ways too. Mm -hmm. Um, But I remember it was really difficult when she was hospitalized because I believe you had to be, it was either 16 or 18. It was probably 18 years old. You had to be 18 years old to even visit anyone in this hospital that she was admitted to. So I remember my family, they picked up my brother from college and they rounded him up and then they went off to visit my sister and I had to wait in the car in the parking lot. I wasn't able to go inside. And I remember how difficult that was. Let me tell you, like, tear up. (laughs) Yeah, it, it it was really difficult, you know, and I felt like so powerless because I couldn't go inside to see my own sister. I yeah. couldn't see her face to face. So my family had to pass along messages. And oh. I probably made a card, I'm sure, drew or something, I'm sure, at the time. Um, but I wasn't able to physically see her face to face for support. 
And that was really hard. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. That was. You emotionally ate. So do you think that made yeah. you fatter? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's also a very common trait, I guess, is oftentimes siblings and particularly moms, mm-hmm. um, mothers of anorexic children will start to gain weight as sort of like a, um, almost like a sympathy eating or something, you know, like they're they're consuming all the calories that their child isn't compensating. For and it, yeah. yeah, they're com- yeah, like to, to co- try and compensate. And that was definitely the case with my mom. My mom certainly put on a lot more weight during those years. And then she kind of maintained a health, a much heavier weight from that point on later, later into her, you know, adulthood. And, um, and I, yeah, I mean, I was always like a heavier set guy and struggled with weight. So I'm not, and I definitely identify with emotional eating. I've always been an emotional eater for sure. No doubt about it. Um, I don't know if I can say for sure, like if I got heavier because of my sister being anorexic, but I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't recall thinking that way. I I remember more just being jealous of her weight loss, especially that initial point before it was like unhealthy where every, she was getting attention for it. And then I felt really kind of abandoned at that point, you know, because I was like, well, now I'm alone. Like we used to both be chubby. And now my my older brother, Matt, he was always thin. So he was thin. And now my sister was thin, too, before she, you know, went like way too much to the opposite side. Um, And I was still this like I was the lone surviving, the lone fat kid. So I remember feeling left out, feeling jealous. I remember like desperately like, all right. Carrie lost weight. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go anorexic. Yeah. And it, would, it wouldn't last. You know, I'm like, I'm just not going to eat. I'm going to starve myself. And I remember I could go maybe an hour and my <laughs> stomach would growl and my little fat ass would be like running to that kitchen cupboard so fast for those snacks. I just have no willpower. Me too. I have no willpower. So it didn't stick. Cool. Well, it did now. I mean, yeah, you, you... I still have no willpower. <laughs> I just don't keep unhealthy foods in the house. Well, that's true. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you changed your lifestyle completely. Mm -hmm. So you, you used to eat meat. Yes. I was raised eating, yeah, traditional American diet, you know, meat and potatoes kind of thing. And did you do any cooking at home when you were young? Not when I was younger. It was much later. It was probably more like high school age that I started cooking. Yeah. And what did you make? (laughs) God. (laughs) I, well, at that time, um, it was like during my sister being anorexic and then leading up to her graduating high school and leaving for college. So then I was the last of three left at home. And at that point, I I do recall kind of another thing that happened with my mom was that she just kind of gave up on cooking. When my sister started starving herself, she she basically just lost all motivation to prepare family meals anymore. And, you know, another... Not to throw my dad under the bus, but with him being a workaholic, he was oftentimes working late hours and wouldn't come home for dinner or he would eat, you know, separately or whatever. So he very much fell into kind of the, you know, the last minute late night, like bowl of cereal after a long day at work. And he wouldn't really bother with dinner. Sometimes my mom would try, my mom would try and leave it like warming the oven or something like that. But for the most part, I remember with my dad not being present for many family dinners and so my dad's not even there. My brother's off to college. My sister was either there or then subsequently she went to college. Then it was just my mom and I. Mm-hmm. So my mom really lost all motivation to cook. And that is when 
I had like some home ec cooking classes in probably in middle school prior mm-hmm. to high school. And then by the time, so I had some basic cooking skills a little bit. I can make like, you know, scrambled eggs and super basic stuff, pancakes, whatever, hey, mostly that's breakfast something. foods. That's something. Yeah. Um, but it definitely got to the point where if I wanted to eat dinner, I had to make it. Because my mom just had lost all motivation. Mm. So I would just end up cooking the family family meals from that point. Mm. And one of the favorites out of con- sheer convenience was Tuna Helper <laughs> from Betty Crocker. So I thought my mom's name was Betty Crocker for the longest time. Because <laughs> like, who's this Betty? You know, I had to crack that box every Which time I wanted name? to make dinner. Not Lo- Betty. Lois. It's Lois. not Betty. <laughs> So, yeah, I would have to make these, like, sad tuna helper dinners, you know, where you just, it was like the powder with all the freeze-dried veggies in there, and then you basically just add milk, I think. You would stir, like, the milk into the powder to make the sauce, like a cheese-based sauce thing, if you can call it cheese. Yeah. Um, And you would cook, like, some spiral pasta or something like that, and then just dump in, like, a can of tuna. So that was, yeah, my cooking skills at that point weren't very advanced. They were pretty straightforward. So do you consider that like the dish of your high school years? Yeah, I would say that or pizza. My mom would also take to ordering pizza a lot just because she didn't want to deal with the cooking. So mm, Poor thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and when was the last time you had it? Do you remember? I have no idea the last time I had it. I w- it was, I can pretty confidently say I was in high school the last time I had it or any really anything like that, any sort of hamburger helper, tuna helper, you know, kind of instant mixed food like that. Because once I became vegetarian, I definitely adopted much healthier habits and, and, and learned how to cook mm-hmm. also. So I started cooking much healthier food too with, you know, fresh ingredients. And I mean, you know, I still, I'll cheat and I'll have, you know, I'm, I'm human. I'll have like my share of processed foods here and there sprinkled in. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I try and eat as clean as possible. And I've been like that for years now. So yeah, I, I definitely wasn't you. having anything like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I made for you today, um, uh, a riff of tuna helper. I researched some old timey tuna noodle casserole recipes as well as some updated ones, and I kind of made this guy for you. I'm actually excited to eat this. Really? <laughs> <laughs> He's got a potato chip top. Potato chip top, wow. Yeah. Mine didn't have that. <laughs> no, it didn't. Did yours have peas? It did. It okay, definitely put- had peas and I think maybe carrots, mm-hmm. but they were also like the little tiny shriveled up freeze dried ones, okay. you know, in like mixed in with the powder that would make the sauce. Right. Okay. So it wasn't, they weren't like fresh peas. It wasn't they like legit they vegetables. Real, no, they weren't, def- you're no. not a real boy. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't even really food. I mean. Um, so it's piping hot right in the oven. Uh, you can mix it up and try it whenever you want. Oh, yeah, I'm ready. This looks really good. This is definitely a far cry from the instant out-of-the-box meal that I was making for my mom and I. All right, I'm going to go for it. Okay, go for it. All right, here we go. (laughs) I've never eaten on while being recorded before. It's a first. (laughs) It's really good. It's interesting because let me finish my bite. Actually, <laughs> sorry, mom, talking with food in my mouth. It's interesting because there are some similarities. Mm-hmm. Um, like it definitely, there are some things about it that are really familiar. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. 
but this is definitely like a much more gourmet version <laughs> you know of what what I was making back then. Well, you're so it's nice. it's really good though. I like it. Does it remind you of 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 your dinners with your mom? It's a little different because I we wouldn't need dinner with like a headset on, yeah, <laughs> or in front of a microphone. Or there's not a tiny Asian woman sitting across from <laughs> yeah, you asking exactly. you questions. <laughs> yeah, 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 that too. Um, yeah, but yeah, there's definitely similarities. Um, I don't remember there ever being like a, a crunchy component yeah. to the specific one that I would always make. Yeah. Um, but like the the f- some of the flavors and especially even the textures of like the pasta, the pasta noodles with the the tuna and everything is like very familiar. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. Something very familiar about it. Does it remind you of like a dinner time that you've had with her? Any instance of a like a conversation? I can picture sitting at like our kitchen table in that house. I can picture the plate. I can picture how we would eat it and everything, you know, mm-hmm. sitting around the table. But I don't have like a specific conversation or anything that yeah. I recall having with my mom. What do you see? What does that plate look like? Or where was that? Back in Boston? Yeah. So this would have, would have been back in Dartmouth, Mass. Dartmouth. Dartmouth. And I remember we had like a, I think it was around. No. I'm lying. It was actually just a rectangular table. But I, I can kind of picture like our kitchen table at the time and the sort of like light hanging over the table is like one of those things where, you know, you move into a house and they have the kind of, I, w- I don't want to say chandelier because right. it wasn't fancy or it's anything. It's like a light fixture. Yeah, like a light fixture hanging down. It's like, okay, well, this is, I guess, is where the table goes kind yeah. of thing. Um, we had a dining room too, but, you know, we wouldn't usually eat in the dining room unless we were entertaining or something. Right. So we would just sit down at the kitchen table and I... I do, it is bringing me back a bit, like that feeling of sort of emptiness almost too, sitting at the table with my mom, because at that point it was only two of us, you know, Mm -hmm. I was, we I grew up in a family of five and I think at that point too, my mom was also kind of starting to empty nest a little bit when, Mm -hmm. and well, I think she was also really worried about my sister. I, I know she was, she was really worried about my sister going away to college while still dealing, you know, sure. still really dealing with the, being deep in the throes of, you know, anorexia and everything. Yeah. Um, so I think my mom really struggled during that time. And those, I, those dinners were pretty sad. I do remember the dinners just being kind of, kind of lame, you know, kind of pathetic, just sitting around the table, just my mom and like, you know, all the empty chairs around oh. the table and just my mom and I sitting, because like I said, my dad would oftentimes come home later and he, he wasn't home for dinner often, I would right. say. Um, yeah, so it, it's interesting. I do remember that. Um, well, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Okay, until next time. <laughs> All right. For some of us, change is easy. But for the rest of us, change is a challenge. It's a daily internal struggle with ourselves. Yes, I can have it. No, I cannot. Yes or no, you ask yourself over and over again. And although we want change to be quick and painless, it most likely won't be. It takes time, and it's going to take a lot of work. But if you are willing to change, the power is already within you. 